Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, what a week, huh? For those of you kids that don't have the internet or watch the news, I have a little spoiler alert. It's kind of been a thing this week, amen? Been a little odd. If you had to pick one word to describe people's emotional state this week, what word would you choose? Fear, anxiety, stress, tinfoil hat, all of that would be appropriate, okay? I would say fear is the primary feeling that most people are experiencing. And it was one of those surreal kind of weeks. Um, Wednesday night, top men's turned on my phone, all the sports are canceled. Uh, Thursday, Grace and I had our 32nd year anniversary of our first date. So this, this was not virus week, this was anniversary week for me. And so we had our first date March 12th, 1988. We were 17 years of age. And I always say men age like milk and women age like wine. So that's kind of where we're at at the Driscoll house. And, uh, and so we were out having you know a little time together, running errands, going out to lunch and such. And then all of a sudden uh, my phone, probably like yours, just kept exploding. I was supposed to have a couple dozen pastors in from around the country for coaching and training on Friday. They canceled. Saturday was supposed to preach at a men's event in Ohio. That canceled. Sunday was supposed to preach at a church out of state. That canceled. And then next week, I was supposed to go teach at a Bible college in Canada. That was canceled. I looked at Grace. I was like, Woo, we get a seven day date. This is amazing. We get to continue our anniversary indefinitely. So I kind of fired up about that. And then I was supposed to be gone this weekend. And so I believe in God's providence. I'm supposed to preach a special topical sermon on Christ and the coronavirus. And I wanna give courage to you. And to encourage someone is literally to put courage in them. And that's what we need ultimately when we are in a season of fear. And so I'll begin at Target. I was standing outside of Target. Have you been to Target? If you wanna know how people are doing, just stand at the door of Target. Grace and I were on our anniversary date and I got some stuff from Target. People are on their phone and they're frantic and they're, they're, you know, they're fighting over toilet paper and trying to get enough hand sanitizer to fill up their hot tub so they could just jump in and be there indefinitely. And, uh, <laughs> And so I'm waiting outside and everybody's sort of frantic and, and all my events are canceling. And I felt like the spirit of God spoke to me and gave me a scripture that I wanna share with you is the beginning of our time together. And it is from Second uh, Timothy 1.7, God, and here's the big idea. Problems happen when you don't start with God. Okay, so we're gonna start with God. God gave us a spirit, not of fear. There is a demonic spirit whose name is fear. Behind fear is the spirit of fear. Do you think that this spirit has been unleashed and active this week? Oh yes. This has been a real week for the spirit of fear. How do you know that the spirit of fear is at work? Ultimately what you see is a mob mentality where people are acting irrationally and to them, it makes sense because everyone is doing it. 
That's where a spirit of fear goes over a people, causes them all to respond out of fear, not out of faith, to be consumed with worry and to be negligent of worship. That's the season we find ourselves in. Now, immediately the spirit of fear will tell you, there are reasons to be afraid. And I would tell you, there always are. There always are. You and I always have a reason to fear and the spirit of fear will use any opportunity to accelerate, to exacerbate our fear. Fear is not always a sin, but it is an opportunity to decide whether we will respond by the spirit of fear or the spirit of God. The spirit of God is the anecdote to the spirit of fear. Right? And ultimately, the Spirit of God is opposed to and against the Spirit of fear. And in moments like this, you and I can either choose to welcome the Spirit of fear or to welcome the Spirit of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. How do you know that the Spirit of fear has come? You feel like there is no power that you have over your life or circumstances, all of a sudden you do not feel or believe that God loves you and you become very self-consumed and disinterested, incapable of loving others. And also you lose self-control. And as a result, there, there are people who act in a way that is out of control. If you have the spirit of God, you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, still loving God and others and having wise, prudent decision-making out of the spirit of self-control, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. The spirit of fear causes us to make decisions that are out of control. And that's gonna be my theme and thesis today. I want you to respond by the spirit of God and not welcome the spirit of fear. What I can't tell you is that we can control what will happen, but we can control who we are and how we respond. And you'll know that the spirit of fear is active when your body starts to give you some indicators. I'll give you some examples from the professionals. Nervous twitch, this can be an eye twitch or it can be a handshake, brain fog for those that are overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, trouble sleeping, high blood pressure, stomach problems, tension headaches, chronic sickness, moments of unexpected anxiety and or panic attacks, sadness or anger, emotional spectrum that's very unpredictable, thoughts of death, fantasies of suicide, or if you're a Christian, an obsession with end times theology and the rapture and do we get to leave now? Come Lord Jesus, rescue me and bring toilet paper, right? Um, obsessing over the news. Anyone obsessing over the news? And making irrational decisions, irrational decisions. This is how you know that the spirit of fear has come. Now, the good news is, as the children of God, we know both the cause and cure for fear. The word of God tells us the cause and cure for fear. It is uh, first depicted in Genesis 3. God made the world good, made our first parents very good. Everything was alive, everything was safe, everything was healthy. There was no one and nothing to fear. Then Genesis 3, the spirit of fear comes in as a serpent. Satan arrives and he tempts our first parents to disconnect from God, to rebel against God. And as a result, sin brings death. Sin brings death. When God 
created the world as the living God. He made you and I alive. There was no sin and there was no death. So there was no fear because there was no one and nothing to fear. Now that sin has entered the world, there is lots to fear and sin brings death. And our greatest fear is death. So God shows up to have a conversation and he asks, what has happened? He knew, but he wanted our first parents to consider what they had done and how they had responded. Adam is hiding from God. He's hiding from his wife. He is filled with fear. He is overcome by the spirit of fear. And God asks him, why are you making these decisions? And he says, I was, I was afraid. This may shock you. This is the first occasion in human history where a human being felt fear. Some of you struggle with fear and anxieties and phobias. And ultimately, this was the first time that fear entered into the human heart as a human experience. Well, what is the answer? If that is the cause, what is the cure? Because let me tell you this, they are working on a cure for this problem, but the problem of fear only God has the cure for. 1 John 4.18, there is how much fear in love? No fear. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. That ultimately when we feel fearful, we grab things that give us some sense of hope or security. We grab toilet paper, we grab hand sanitizer, or we grab the love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Just as a demon needs to be cast out, so the spirit of fear needs to be cast out by the love of God. The spirit of fear and the love of God cannot coexist. The love of God is stronger than the spirit of fear and has this expulsive power to eradicate, to cast out the spirit of fear and replace it with the love of God. I want you, if you came here with the spirit of fear, I want the love of God to cast that fear out of you. And I want you to leave here filled with the spirit of God, experiencing and trusting in the love of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment something bad will happen. I am in danger. I'm scared. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What I'm not saying is there is nothing to fear. I'm saying that there are things to fear, but fear will not help you. Fear will not serve you. Fear will not benefit you because with fear comes the spirit of fear. And as you learn of God's love, you'll be perfected in his love. And if you are struggling with anxiety, fear, it is an opportunity for you to be perfected, to grow in your understanding of God's love for you. It's an opportunity for you not to feed the spirit of fear, but instead to experience the love of God and be perfected in his love. And what happens when we fear, hear me in this, it exposes who or what we love the most. When you think of someone you might lose and it causes you concern, that just means you love them. When you think of something that you love and you might lose it and it causes you anxiety, fear, and concern, it means that you love it. Well, God loves you. God is concerned for you. God is devoted to you. God is committed to you. 
And it doesn't mean that everything will be okay, but that if you live in the love of God, you will be okay. That we can't control what happens out there, but we have jurisdiction and dominion over what happens in here. So I wanna to talk to you about fear very practically. This is something that we all struggle with in varying times to varying degrees in varying ways. In seasons like this, where the spirit of fear is unleashed, anxiety is at a high. But I wanna talk about eight reasons why fear is often a fraud. Number one, it is godless. When the spirit of fear comes, the spirit of fear wants you to look at the future without considering God. It literally is looking into the future and erasing or eradicating God so that the future is godless and God has no part or presence in it. This is what happens all the time. Ultimately, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, do not be anxious. How, how are we doing at this? Everybody's a little, little anxious. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Well, Jesus, you have no idea what's happening. Jesus would say, actually I do. <laughs> do not be anxious about your life. Say, well, what part of my life? All of your life. Here's what Jesus says. Don't stress about life. You know why? Because ultimately at the end of the day, if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. Eternal life does not begin the day you die. It begins the day you meet Jesus and it continues after the day you die. This changes not only your life, but your view beyond the grave because so many of us, all we can see is to the grave because of Jesus, we could see through the grave that life continues for the children of God. So Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? How many of you have stressed out and thought that really added some years to my life? <laughs> I freaked out, I'll probably live another decade. Look at all that. It, because what happens is oftentimes the thing that we fear doesn't happen, but the fear robs us of days of our life and therefore the fear can sometimes be as damaging and devastating as the thing we fear. Why are you anxious? Do not be worried. That's what Jesus says. Number two, fear is often a false prophecy. A false prophet is one who predicts a future that doesn't come to pass. The most Influential voice in your life is your voice. You talk to yourself more than anyone and you either speak faith or fear into your future. And some of us at times are false prophets. We predict a future that doesn't happen. Have you ever done this? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die or not. You know, I, I am ruined or not. We're any, okay, some of you are a little young. Were any of you here for Y2K? Were you here for that? If you weren't here, here's what happened. We all had canned goods. We had loaded guns. We were in our house. We were told that when the computer clicked to 2000, everything would shut down. We would get the mark of the beast. We'd be drinking our own urine. And then ultimately the antichrist would come and we'd all be cordwood forever. Okay, that's what we were told. And so we're all sitting there and then the clock ticked and we were like, what am I gonna do with all this corn? meal and 
canned goods. And oh my golly, we don't need this many batteries. It, it didn't happen. Okay? But false prophets made prophets. When people get scared, they start making bad decisions and false prophecy, it is enabling those who prey upon fear to make false prophets. It makes us selfish. I can't be concerned about you if I'm consumed with me. You're like, I'm worried. Well, I don't have time for that. My life is a crisis. As Christians, we are to know that God is concerned for us. And that means that we can be concerned for others. If God is consumed with our well-being, then we can be concerned for others' well-being. If we do not believe that God is concerned for us or consumed with our well-being, then ultimately we have nothing left to love and serve others. Let me tell you that, that this is an opportunity for the people of God to love. It's a great opportunity. And we don't need to be silly about it, but we, we don't need to be selfish either. Even if you can't meet with people, you can call, text, email, you can love and serve and bless, right? And this is a day when people are being very, 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 very selfish. And as Christians, it's an opportunity for us to love boldly, okay? And some of what I'm gonna say is controversial, the rest is very controversial, but let me just say this that it was, there was a plague that hit in the early church. And what did the Christians do? They went out to serve and to love. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm saying that historically, God's people have behaved differently than those who don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. Um, it makes us ineffective. That's what a spirit of fear does. It makes us ineffective. There are things that we should do, but we're scared so we do not do them. Jesus tells this story of a guy who had something to do and he didn't do it. It was in uh, Matthew 25, verses 24 through 26. And so the question is posed to him, why did you not do that what you were told to do? And he says, quote, I was afraid. I was afraid that ultimately at the end of the day, if God has called you to do something, the spirit of fear will cause you to be ineffective in completing the assignment that God has given you. All week, my phone's ringing off the hook. My friends who are pastors all over the country and world, understandably so, all different governments and jurisdictions are making all kinds of policies and decisions. I understand that it's complicated, but they're asking me, they're like, what are you gonna do? I said, I am going to preach because that's what I do. That's my thing. Water's wet and I yell. That's just how it is, okay? They say, well, what if nobody comes? I will still yell, right? I mean, because I need to be effective and I can't be effective if I'm fearful. I don't wanna be foolish, but I don't wanna be fearful. It can make you very effective. Some of you, there are things that God has told you to do. Fear will cause you to not do them. Fear also, a spirit of fear comes and people lose touch with reality. They lose touch. Have you seen this? Is it just me? 
Proverbs 22, 13, there is a guy who says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. So it tells the story in Proverbs. There's a dude locked up in the house. Everybody's like, dude, you need to live your life. He's like, no, there's a lion outside. I was on YouTube and I, I've been watching videos of people getting eaten by lions all day. I'm not going out, right? Odds are, it's probably not a lion outside. Now there might be, it's like, can you guarantee? I can't guarantee anything except for the second coming of Jesus. That I will stake your mortgage on, okay? <laughs> but this guy's saying, I can't go outside because there is a possibility of harm or danger. Now we would look at him and say, that's so silly. And he would look at us and say, you're as silly as I am. There is a difference between prudence and paranoia. The spirit of God will give you prudence. It's called wisdom. The spirit of fear will give you paranoia. That is panic. That is panic. It causes us to seek to be God in two ways. People who are overcome by the spirit of fear, they want to know and control. I want to know everything that is happening and everything that will happen. That's a desire to be all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. In addition, I want to control the future. I want to determine the outcome. Only God controls the future. People are struggling right now because they have come to the realization that they are not God. They're like, I don't know what's gonna happen and I can't control what's gonna happen. Why are you not freaking out? I know the one who knows and controls, okay? And I know that he loves me. So I don't know what the future holds, but I know that he holds the future. This is where the Christian perspective is so practical and helpful, especially in moments of crisis and concern, okay? This is where we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we need to think differently because we understand our God knows and controls what we don't know and can't control, okay? So I just want to give you hope and to tell you, you don't need to be like God. And this was the first temptation that Satan gave to our parents. You don't need God, you can be like God. I don't know what the future holds and I don't control what the future holds, but I trust the one who knows and controls. That's the heart of the believer, that is faith. Uh, in addition, it makes us double-minded and unstable. That's what a spirit of fear does. James 1, 5 through 8, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When a spirit of fear comes, okay, okay, it, let me just tell you, this is the stock market. Unstable. Have you felt that this week? You're like, oh my gosh, I lost everything. It's back. I lost part of it. How many of you feel a little seasick? This may continue. When a spirit of fear comes, people and things become unstable. Move forward, move backward. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Right? Buy the stock, sell the stock. Just put all your money in toilet paper and sell it on eBay. That's the only secure investment. 
Really? I don't understand this, by the way. I just do not understand it. I don't understand it. I believe in Jesus and toilet paper, but I don't understand it. <laughs> and also it robs us. The spirit of fear robs us. Jesus talks about the thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Question, spirit of fear comes. What does it steal from you? Your joy, your hope, your peace, your sleep. You know what? There's not just a run on hand sanitizer and toilet paper. There's a run on hope and peace and joy and sleep. And ultimately, only God can provide those things. You can't find them on Amazon. They're not on the shelf at Costco. That ultimately, the spirit of fear comes to rob you of the blessings that God has for you. And many of those blessings, if not most of those blessings, are not external, they're internal. Hope, peace, joy. The fruit of the spirit that is under attack from the spirit of fear. It's a war. It's a war. Now, that being said, we are at a point where the concern is high because people are facing their greatest fear, which is death. Spoiler alert, you're gonna die. I have never been to anyone's thousandth birthday party. Never been to one. Never seen them blow out that many candles. Never been there. Because sin entered the world, death entered the world, and death becomes our greatest fear, our most gripping fear, and it becomes what the Bible calls a stronghold for the spirit of fear. Death is a stronghold for the spirit of fear. And what happens as a result of this fear, people have questions. And let me say, you may have these questions, people you know and love, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, your own children and grandchildren will have questions. This is a wonderful ministry opportunity because we alone have hope on the other side of death and death comes for us all, but we know that Jesus came and defeated death. So he says this in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, have no fear. No one ever found the will of God through fear. You only find the will of God through faith. If your decision-making, not just in this season, but throughout the seasons of your life is driven by fear and the spirit of fear, you will not find the will of God. You cannot find the will of God being driven by fear, only by faith. So he says, have no fear, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Remember, the one thing that can't be taken or shaken is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can lose your retirement account. You can lose your home equity. You can lose your life, but you cannot lose the love of God that endures forever. So it's honoring in your hearts, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. People are scared, people are worried, people have questions, people have anxiety. Here's what I have found. 
The best thing to do is run at your fears, not run from your fears. There was some years ago, our family literally was in a horrific season. I've been doing this 25 years. I preached in a bulletproof, stab-proof vest because I needed it. I have preached with a gun on my hip during rioting and looting. I have delivered medical supplies after one of the greatest natural disasters in the Western world hit the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. I've preached in a township with, with with an assault rifle. I've preached on the grounds of rubble to 50,000 people, many of whom their family members will still buried under the rubble. I have preached through Y2K. I have preached through the swine flu. I have preached through 9-11. And there was a season in our life when our family was literally under attack and I was fearful. And what I learned was to run at those fears and that's how they are disarmed. They are disarmed when the light exposes those false lies with the truth of the goodness of God. So it is this opportunity for you and me to with gentleness, I'm so sorry you're struggling, and respect, those are reasonable concerns, to still have within us hope And as people ask, why are you responding differently? Because I have a different spirit. I have the spirit of God. So I respond differently than the spirit of fear. Well, what if you lose everything? What if you die? What if the end comes? I have hope. I have hope. So let me give you the reason for the hope that lies within me. That's ministry. Again, our world right now doesn't just have a run on supplies, it has a run on hope. And what people need now is hope. Not naivety, not bumper sticker cliches, not promises that'll all be great, but hope that no matter what, God is good and the future is secure, particularly on the other side of the grave. So let me go through what I think are the top seven questions that you are probably asking or getting asked. I wanna answer your questions to lift your burdens and increase your hope. And then I want to equip you to go help others have hope, okay? That's why we're here. So let me run through the list. Uh, Let's say you and I were having coffee, okay? More than six feet apart, of course. So we're having coffee, (laughs) more than six feet apart. And, And I was having a conversation with you. Some of you may say, Pastor Mark, I fear death. First Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death beats us. Jesus beats death. If you're with Jesus, you beat death too. Our God came into human history. Let me tell you this. There is something worse than this virus and it not only infects a percentage of us and kills a percentage of us, it affects all of us and kills all of us. It is the contagion of sin. It is passed on and transmuted from our first father, Adam. It has infected the entire human race We're all under a death sentence and ultimately Jesus is the only cure. 
If we want to eradicate suffering, I absolutely agree we should care for the body, but we should also care for the soul because the worst suffering is the eternal suffering. You can have a healthy body and die and experience eternal death. He says this, death is swallowed up in victory, in a bit of jest and mockery of victory. He says, oh death, where is your victory? I'll tell you what, when Jesus walked away from the grave, the spirit of fear was disarmed because the penalty of death was conquered. Oh death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, we're family, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you come and you say, I fear death, you should. And here's good news. Our God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to forgive your sin. He rose from the grave to secure your eternal victory. And death does not have the final word. The resurrected Jesus does. Okay? Let me say this. You may die soon, or it may be a long time. All have sinned, all die, all need Jesus. He is the only eternal cure from eternal suffering. Number two, I feel like things are out of control. Some of you might say that. Pastor Mark, feel like things are out of control. Do they feel like they're out of control? Yes. I'll go back to my verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. The spirit of God brings the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. As the world becomes out of control, you and I can still have self-control. You can't control what happens out there, but you have dominion and jurisdiction over what happens in here. While others have fear, you can have faith. While others have worry, you can have worship. Where others have panic, you can have peace. And it doesn't mean that everything will be okay, but that if you're with Jesus, worst case scenario is okay. Some of you would ask, Pastor Mark, I'm scared. I feel like I might get sick. You might. There's saints in this room that have cancer. There are saints in this room that have other illnesses that they are battling. Even if you do get sick, the good news is there is the medical community that God has given great wisdom to. In addition, Jesus is called in the Bible, the great physician. There was a doctor named Luke who wrote the majority of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. In the first book, he records the healing miracles of Jesus. Dr. Luke records the healing miracles of Jesus Christ, the great physician. Jesus dies and rises. He returns to heaven where he's ruling and reigning today. And the question is, from there, will Jesus still act here? The book of Acts answers that question. In 12 of the 28 chapters, you will find 14 healing miracles of Jesus from his throne in the heavenly kingdom, and he comes to heal on the earth. So even if you get sick and the doctor doesn't know what to do, there is still a Jesus you can plead to, and he has the possibility of healing you. To encourage those saints that are here, how many of you have seen God heal you or someone you know and love? Look around. You might get sick, and if you do, there is still 
hope for you. I can't promise healing, but I can say that ultimately it is most assuredly a possibility. Now here is the big one, number four. Some of you would say, Pastor Mark, I might die. I might die. Again, you're all gonna die. The point is, we ignore that until the reality becomes overwhelming and we're all dealing with it at the same time. They felt this way in the atomic age. Everybody felt this way when the Twin Towers fell. I'm telling you, this is not the last time and it's not the first time. So let me give you hope. Philippians 1, 21 and 23. For me to live is Christ. As long as I'm alive, love Jesus, serve Jesus, talk about Jesus, you know, belong to Jesus, celebrate Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you gain when you die? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you not have to deal with anymore? There's no more elections. Woo! There's, there's no more hand sanitizer. There's no more quarantines. There's no more taxes. Right? That's what you gain. Just telling you. There's nobody who died trusting Jesus right now in his presence saying, I miss taxes. I miss elections. I wish we had hand sanitizer, (laughs) right? They're like, to die is gain. You gain health, you gain the presence of God. You gain a family reunion with people who know and love Jesus. You gain eternal life. You gain Jesus Christ. To live is Christ, it's not bad. To die is gain. And everybody's freaking out right now. Because financially, they're wondering, am I going to gain or lose? Well, let me tell you this. To die is gain. To live as Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ, he says, is better, not just better, far better. See, you and I, we we can't conceive of what God has for us on the other side of the grave. It's where no mind is conceived, no ear is heard, no No heart has even imagined the good things that God has in store for us. Because what God has in store for us is something that we have never experienced. And that's the world as God intended it. So as a result, we don't understand that to die is far better. Far better. When you die, it's far better. When you go on vacation, it's far better. How many of you, when you are at work and you have a vacation coming, you're not freaked out? You're not stressed and anxious. You're not like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I am so scared. I'm having a panic attack. What will I do with the hammock? You don't. (laughs) You know that to work is fine and to go on vacation is far better. For the believer, dying is? far better. It's the eternal vacation. The Bible calls it the eternal Sabbath. If you like vacation, that's practicing for heaven, okay? So eternal life doesn't begin the day you die. It begins the day you meet Jesus and it continues forever. And let me make this very clear. If you are not a Christian, this life is as close to heaven as you will get and hell awaits you. 
If you are a Christian, this life is as close to hell as you will get and heaven awaits you. This is far worse, this is far better. The question is, do you know and love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Is your hope in Jesus? Another question you might have is, Pastor Mark, I fear I might lose money. You already have, just break it to you. <laughs> Some of you are older folks, you're like, my retirement's on fire. Some of you are in the financial services, right? And you're just like, when does the carnival music stop? You know, when, when does the clown get back in the barrel? This is crazy. Some of you are thinking it's a good time to buy. Everything's on sale, <laughs> right? See, because the two things that we fear the most are death and losing our wealth. Because death is something that we can't control and we feel that if we have wealth, then we are secure in the future. So when we lose our money and are potentially facing death, the spirit of fear has a double dose of real reasons for us to increase our anxiety. Let me just say this. If you are trusting in money, you are trusting in vain. I am not against money. I'm not against margin. I'm not against investments. I'm not against retirement. I believe in Jesus and math, okay? But I am telling you that Jesus says, don't store up your treasure on earth where moth and rust and faulty loans in the real estate market and instability and global pandemics destroy. Store up your treasures in heaven because that is a guaranteed re return on investment. So the Bible says that godliness with contentment is of great gain. You may put your money in an investment and not see a return, but if you put an investment in your character, you will see an eternal return on investment. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Content. I have a lot, I have a little. Either way, thank you, Lord. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. What Paul is saying is this, I know what it's like to buy real estate in 07 and 08 when everything is on sale. And then I know what it's like to have massive margins and then the bottom fall out. I know what it's like to buy stock low and watch it go high and then watch it bottom out. Paul says, I have ridden this high sea tsunami of financial investment. And he says, what I've done in this high seas of financial investment during the tsunami, I crawl into a little boat called contentment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll make the most with what I have and be generous with what you've given. Let me just, let me just say this. Some of you weren't generous toward God and now you regret it because that money was wasted instead of invested in the kingdom of God. Ultimately, we need to take our wealth and use it for our worship, not worship our wealth. To invest our wealth in our faith, not have our faith in our wealth. 
This is now a test of the heart of whether or not we worship God or what Jesus calls mammon, which is money. In addition, some say, well, Pastor Mark, we may not be able to come to church and worship. And it's amazing that there are children of God all over the world today that cannot gather. So I feel privileged to be here with you. Thank you. And for those of you who are online, thank you for joining us. And I feel very privileged that we live in an age of technology. I mean, what would we do if we didn't have technology? And so be in prayer for those churches around the world that don't have technology, or even those churches in America that don't have the technology. They don't have online giving. They don't have live stream. Especially those ethnic churches that really struggle to make ends meet. They don't have the same kind of infrastructure that we enjoy. But ultimately, the Bible says this about getting together, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, stir one another up in love and good works. You know what? You could stir one another up in fear and panic. You could stir one another up in fear and panic, or you could stir one another up in love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the days approaching. So let me tell you what's gonna happen. First of all, things are moving quickly and we're gonna evaluate daily. I don't know about you, last few days, feels like an avalanche happened pretty quick. We'll see what happens. In addition, if you are in a high risk bracket or you're scared, go online, join us on Sunday, pull your family together, your life group together, your friends together, gather together, gather together and enjoy the word of God and the people of God. In addition, know this, I will preach every Sunday. That's what I do. So if you're here, great. If they tell us we can't meet, I'll still be here preaching. I will go around and lay hands on every chair for you. And I will preach until you show up again. That's what we're gonna do, okay? I preach, that's my thing, okay? So I will be here every Sunday and every Sunday that they allow us to meet, you are welcome to come or stay home, no judgment. And for some reason, if we can't meet, I'll still meet with you via technology. And when you come back, I'll be happy to see you again. But either way, this church will continue. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, spirit of fear, we rebuke you. This church has a great future. God has given me a massive vision and I am in the midst of architecting for us a fantastic future that I believe by faith will come to pass and this too shall pass. And then some of you would ask this, Pastor Mark, I, I don't know who to listen to right now. Here's why. Those on the political right don't trust the media. Those on the political left don't trust the government. So everybody's suspicious, <laughs> right? And this is where those conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hat, end times chart on an ammo box in crayon, the preppers, all the folks up in the White Mountains and press are like, we told you, we told you it was coming. We told you it was coming. We'll be in the ground eating corn 
for generations. Okay, that's fine. You don't know who to trust. Let me just tell, help me get the word out to you. Not everything on the internet's true. You just <laughs> let your friends know. How many of you saw stuff on social media? And immediately your first reaction is spirit of fear, like, ah! oh wait, that's my uncle, he's an idiot. <laughs> right? Um, Who do you trust? Trust Jesus. I'll I'll, I'll let Jesus say something. John 11, 25 and 26. Somebody's anxious, they're fearful, they're worried. This, This is the conversation with Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, oh, well, that's good news. That's really good news. See, we worship a God who came here to be with us, took care of our sin problem, the one infection we all have. It's fatal, 100% mortality rate, sin is. He goes to the grave, he defeats death, he comes back and he says, hey, no need to be scared. I've been there, been back. Let me tell you what's ahead. Oh, thanks, Jesus. You know, the Buddhists can't do that because Buddha's dead. The Muslim can't do that because Muhammad's dead. The Confucian can't do that because Confucius is dead. The dude in Sedona right now can't do that because the rock didn't die and come back and he's just looking at it. <laughs> Welcome to the vortex, right? We all pick our path. We have Jesus who died, came back and said, follow me. I know where we're going. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Do you believe in Jesus? Though he die, guess what? Even if you believe in Jesus, you're gonna die. Yet he shall live. There is life beyond the grave, thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. His question is this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you do, you can have hope. If you do, you can have peace. If you do, you can have joy. If you do, you can live in the love of God, which casts out the spirit of fear. I'll invite the band up. Here's what happens. When when something happens, we either worry about it or worship through it. What we're gonna do today, we're gonna take things that we could be worrying about and we're gonna worship through them. We worry because we don't have control over them, but in worship, we trust the one who has control over them. I wanna close with you just from a verse of the Bible that I think will be very timely, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And the basic choice set before us all is faith or fear. Here's what he says, rejoice. This is countercultural. He doesn't say rejoice in a pandemic, rejoice in the stock market, rejoice in tests and cures, rejoice in the Lord, because everything out here changes, he never changes. Everything out here is unstable and he is the rock upon which we have our lives built. Rejoice in the Lord. So today find something to rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this is not our home. Thank you, Lord, that there is hope beyond the grave. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus came. Thank you, Lord, that to die is gain. To be with Jesus is far better. Thank you, Lord, that one day it'll all be done and the Son of God will return, the kingdom of God will be unveiled, and the children of God will be together, happy, holy, healthy forever, okay? 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Some of you are like, I can't do it today. Not today. Yesterday, fine. But today, not today. So he says, again, I will say rejoice. You know why? We start to rejoice and then we check our phone and then we cease rejoicing. So he reminds us again. Let your reasonableness, are people being reasonable? <laughs> no. When two grandmas beat each other up for toilet paper, that's officially the unreasonable zone we have entered into. Right? When you have armed guards at Costco guarding the toilet paper, we've officially entered DEFCON 5 not reasonable, okay? Let your reasonableness be known to you. This is your witness. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The number one command in the Bible is fear not. It appears about 150 times. Almost every time it says in some form or fashion, for I am with you, I will not leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is at hand. In a time when we're practicing social distancing, you need to know that God is not practicing spiritual distancing. God is not like, uh-oh, they have sin. Uh-oh, they're infected. Uh-oh, they're dying. God is like, I handle that fine. And he draws near. The Lord is at hand. This means you're not alone. God is with you. Even those who are online and those who are elderly and those who are sick and those who are isolated, you're not isolated. The presence of God can be with you and the love of God is for you. Ultimately, when my kids were little and they would get scared and they didn't know what was gonna happen, they didn't know where to go, or maybe we're in a crowd, I'd say it's very simple. Hold dad's hand. I see what you don't see. I know what you don't know. I'll lead you where you won't go because you don't see and know what I see and know. I tell my kids, don't worry about it. And then I'd reach down and they would reach up. The Lord is a father and he is at hand. When we worship and pray in a moment and worship is a form of prayer and we raise our hands, guess what we're doing? We're saying, Lord, I trust that you are at hand Therefore, I raise my hand to take the Father's hand to walk me through what I don't see, don't know, and can't control. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. The spirit of fear wants you to be scared and fearful and anxious and paranoid. There's a difference between being prudent and being paranoid. I want you to have wisdom, but not worry. I want you to have a plan, but not a panic. Don't be anxious. About what? Anything. You know what? We don't know what we're gonna hear tomorrow. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there's always something to be thankful for. Let your requests be known to God. So as we come to God in prayer and in worship, let your requests be known. God, this is my anxiety. This is the burden I carry. This is the thing I'm concerned about. This is the person that I'm interceding for. These are the questions that I have. These are the feelings that I'm feeling and give them to the Father. Let him carry that burden with you and for you. Make your requests known. And the peace, this is the spirit of God. The fruit of the spirit is peace. The spirit of God brings peace. The spirit of fear brings only chaos and turmoil. The peace of God, which what? Surpasses all understanding. People think you're crazy. And let me just tell you, everyone's crazy. 
We're just crazy differently. When everybody's like, we're going to die. And you're like, oh, I can't wait. <sighs> like what? That surpasses understanding. The peace that surpasses understanding will guard your heart. That's your emotional life and your mind. That's your mental life in Christ Jesus. In times like this, you need a soldier on guard to defend your emotional life and your mental life, your reasoning, your processing, and your decision-making. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding through the spirit of God because of the son of God will bring to you a guarding, a, a protecting, a defending, a fortifying of your emotional and mental life in Christ Jesus. I sure love you. Thanks for letting me be your pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for joining us online. I wanna pour courage into you, which is what encourage means. So we're gonna take some time in worship, okay? We can either worry about what is to come or we can worship the one who is over it all. Lord Jesus, thanks for an opportunity to be with your people, to be in your presence and to now come and sing your praises. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of fear. And we welcome you, Spirit of God, to bring a peace that surpasses understanding, to bring the love of God, which casts out fear. And that Lord God, ultimately, when all is said and done, whatever the future holds, as long as we are alive, to live is Christ. We live in Christ. We live like Christ. We live for Christ. And to die is gain. And so God, I want all of these dear people to be ready for that great homecoming. And we come to worship you to prepare our hearts now in Jesus' good name, amen.